find your seats and we'll get started. Well, good morning. It is uh, such a, a wonderful uh, morning to, to be able to gather together, um, to be able to worship with the Lord together, and we'll be able to also um, partake in, in, in seeing a baptism here in a second. Uh, so very exciting stuff. Um, but uh, let me just take a moment and welcome any visitors that we have visiting us at JIBC today. We're so glad that you're here with us. Um, and let me encourage you, after the service, if you would go out into the lobby, there's a blue connection card, find this, or find someone that knows, looks like they know what they're doing, uh, probably not me, and, uh, and I, I can help you find one, um, but, but, and fill it out, um, and uh, we would love to, one of the elders from our church would love to connect with you and answer any questions that you might have about our church. Again, we're so glad that you're with us today. Um, I have a few announcements to highlight for you. Um, if you look at your bulletins, everybody grab your bulletin. Everybody got, got one? Okay, open it up. Um, we got a few questions uh, uh, concerning Good Friday and Easter, our Resurrection Sunday service. And so I just want you to see those, those dates and times. April 7th is our Good Friday service this year, and it will be at 7 p.m. In, in, right here in this room. Okay, um, and then Resurrection Sunday. Gotten a few questions concerning Resurrection Sunday. Um, this info can be found right in your bulletin. Um, the plan is to be here for the sunrise service at 9 a.m., okay, followed by a fellowship uh, breakfast from 9.30 to 10.30, and then our main service will be at 10.45 uh, a.m. So uh, there, there is no uh, ABF or Sunday school uh, on, on this day. Um, and we're also asking for any members, any ABLE members, to park over at the library on this, on this morning uh, specifically. Uh, because we're expecting the lot to, to fill up. Um, and so um, even if, you know, I know there's some families that have like four vehicles that drive to, that come to church. If you could just limit that to like two if possible or one, you know, just pack them in tight. No, be safe. Um, but, but um, you know, we would really appreciate that. Uh, seeking to be hospitable and uh, the JIBC shuttle uh, bus will be um, operating. So uh, keep that in mind. Um, last announcement that I really want to highlight is um, April 1st um, is soon approaching, and uh, many associate uh, April 1st with April Fool's Day and all the shenanigans that come with that. Um, but the trustees have been reassuring me that uh, April 1st will be spring cleaning day here at JIBC and that it's not a joke. We really will be meeting here, okay? Uh, unless somebody's trying to prank me and I'm going to be the only one here, um, but which could totally happen. Um, but uh, on spring cleaning day, April 1st, we're going to be weeding, mulching, planting. Uh, there'll be uh, outdoor um, cleaning projects and, um, and projects in general. And there'll also be indoor projects as well as brick uh, for cleaning and things. Um, I've invited the teens uh, parents of teens, force your kids to come and labor and, and sacrifice their time on that Saturday with us. Um, and, and you know what? Join them. Uh, it's a great opportunity to serve alongside them and have them serve alongside our church family. So um, that's April 1st at uh, 9, and it goes to noon. Um, and uh, Mr. Lever, uh, Dave, uh, Lever, uh, however you address him, he's, he's amazing. Um, but um, he could do so many different things, uh, you know, any odd and, and an ed job. Um, I, I can't use a hammer or, uh, you know, a screwdriver or anything. Um, he's taught me so much. But anyways, um, he, uh, he's asked us to bring maybe some shovels. 
um, and maybe a couple uh, wheelbarrows. So uh, take, please, please uh, bring those accordingly. Yes. No morning mix on, on this Saturday. The April 1st, no morning mix. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. All right. Well, Aaron, uh, we're going to uh, observe uh, the waters of baptism. What a wonderful opportunity that is. So, Aaron, I'm going to turn this over to you, brother. How about now? There we go. What's that? Don't, don't fall down. Um, no, it is awesome to see everyone this morning, and I am super excited um, about this baptism. We're going to be um, uh, baptizing Grace Scarberry. Grace, come on down. So Grace is hilarious, first of all. Okay, so she has been super, super, um, is it warm? Yes. All right, why don't you go and step up here so, so people can see you. There's Grace. All right. So Grace has been dying to get baptized, okay? So we talked probably, how long has it been? Um, three weeks, maybe? Three, yeah. She's been keeping track. So um, at Awana one evening, so I, this is just happenstance for me, right? I'm so, I'm so glad for God's providence because um, during Awana, Grace wanted to talk to an elder, and I just happened to be available at that very moment. Um, and I fought Pastor Dan to get to her, and I shoved him out of the way. And um, Grace knew exactly what she wanted to do. She said, I want to be baptized. And the awesome thing is she says, I know I don't have to be baptized because Jesus did it all for me. But she wants to be, be obedient to Christ and to the Bible. And I think that's so awesome. But I love Grace because, like, I'm kind of nervous about this. And Grace, you didn't see it. She was back here, like, dancing and stuff like that as we were getting ready. And she let me know that I had to ask her some questions and things like that. So Grace has been very, very excited about this. Where's, where's your mom and dad? Oh, they're all the way back there. Okay, no pressure. All right. So um, I'm not going to make Grace wait any longer. This is super, super exciting. I'm glad we're able to share in this together. So Grace Scarberry, is it your testimony this morning that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. And it is, is it your desire to serve him and to love him and to follow him all the days of your life? Yes, of course. Of course, right? Do we need to say anything else? So a big amen to that. So with that, I'm going to baptize Grace. You got to love this big smile up here. And we were struggling because there was a stool, but the problem is it just floated away. So she was helping me not drown. So awesome. Congratulations, Grace. God is, is, is doing continually in the hearts and lives of, of, of people. Uh, before we open our service in a, in a word of prayer, I'm going to ask uh, Cindy Reed, yeah, there she is, uh, to give us a brief missions announcement.
Well, I don't know how you follow the joy of a baptism, but other than there are wonderful international students coming to Christ through international friendships, which you know is on my heart, I have a, an invitation for you for a free meal at Villa Milano in Columbus on April 29th, if you want to bookmark that in your head. We neglected to get it in the bulletin or the email, but it will be there in the next week, I hope. Uh, this will be a time to be surrounded by mission-minded believers, get a free meal, and hear wonderful testimonies of international students who have come to Christ. In the past, I've heard students from Sudan, from China, from Taiwan, India. It is just amazing. It's about international friendships. If you haven't heard of it, which I think most of you probably have if you've been here and heard me talk about it, um, they are a bridge for local believers to interact with international students on Ohio State's campus. So they help you connect. So if you want to reach out to the world that's come here, International Friendships is the training ground, the opportunity. They connect you with the students. So this is a good time to get an overview of their ministry. If you just think you might be interested, please join us. Uh, Cheryl Terry is going, I'm going, Karen Wright's going, so we'll organize some transportation. We can all go together and sit at the same or nearby tables, depending on how many of us come. So would love to have you. Talk to me if you're interested. Watch for the announcements in the bulletin and the email. Well, with that, church, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful for this beautiful day that we can gather together with the saints to, to worship you, to observe the, the waters of baptism, to, to learn from your word, to encourage and build each other up in, a, in the faith. And Father, I, I pray that you would bless this time now that we have all for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we worship the Lord together.
All right, this next song is a new one. It's called Jesus Strong and Kind. We, we sang it last week on the Sunday night service, but I uh, hope that you enjoy uh, this new song together. Amen. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. 
Um, This morning, we'll be reading out of Psalm 65. Psalm 65. It's a song of praise. Psalm 65, verses 1 through 13. It begins, To the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. Starting in verse 1. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult, uh, tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with the showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. It's the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for being, as the psalmist puts it, a a righteous God, a God of hope to all the ends of the earth. And Lord, we're, we're thankful, thankful for the sacrifice of Christ that through the blood of Christ, our past, present, and future sins can be forgiven, that we can truly be satisfied in you. And Lord, I pray that we'd be a people as we consider the, 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 the last part of this text, that we would be a people who would delight ourselves in you and in all your wondrous deeds. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please take this time to fellowship with one another, and the children may be dismissed for Children's Church at this time.
pencil. go well. <laughs> All right, please join me as we prepare to sing our last song to speak, O Lord. Speak, O Lord, and for 
Father, do that work in our hearts that we so desperately need, the work that only your spirit can do with your word. I pray that the song we've just sung would not just be empty words that we've sung, but would be truly our heart's cry, that you would speak to us, that, that you would challenge us, that you would change us. We thank you so much for the word of God. It's in the word of God that we find hope. It's in the word of God that we find and the way that we're supposed to walk. It's in the Word of God that we find out how awesome of a God that you are. May we be reminded this morning that the God of Abraham is the same God today. And I pray that we may be challenged one last time from the life of Abraham this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. This morning we're going to be this morning we're going to be in Genesis chapter 25 Genesis chapter 25 and I'm just going to give you a warning I am going to mispronounce just about every one of these names this morning okay So that's going to happen this morning Genesis chapter 25 this morning and uh, before we begin I have been asked to to bring the hammer down so I'm about to bring the hammer down this morning. Who needs the hammer brought down on them this morning? You don't even know you need it, but some of you do. If you have borrowed books from the church library, 
If you have borrowed books from the church library and have not returned them, consider yourself hammered this morning. Maybe you borrowed that book and, and you have used it so well and it's really helping you and you want to hang on to it. Just let us know that you're doing that so we can replace it. Um, maybe you can't afford to buy that book and it's really helping you. I would love for you to keep it, okay? This isn't about law. It's about grace, okay? But, but if, if you have a book and you just have forgotten to return it, would you please get it back? Um, Denny, they're stealing your books out of the library. I don't know if you know that. You ought to feel really accomplished. The books have not come back. Some of you don't even know that Denny's written books. He has. Multiple. And uh, so, really, it would be a big help to us if you could get those books back so that we could at least account for them. So, Genesis chapter 25. Consider the hammer to have been dropped, okay? Now I'm going to lift it and we're going to go to the Word of God this morning. When we come to Genesis chapter 25, we, we have just now... Last week, seeing that Abraham has made this huge faith, um, this major faith act in sending off his servant to find Isaac a wife. And, and now the servant has returned, Isaac has a wife, and, and, and so he, he is now in a position where, where he can hand off the reins to Isaac, and, and there's a transfer of leadership here. The plan for succession is now complete, and it's time for Isaac to step into the role of leading the family. And so we're going to see this morning in chapter 25, Abraham's death. It's kind of sandwiched around two different genealogies. These genealogies, I know, they seem kind of tedious. They're, they're, they're important, though. Now, I'm not going to preach through the genealogies this morning, but I'm going to point out the importance of them as we, as we go through it this morning. But we're going to take one final look at Abraham. Abraham kind of rides off the scene now, and we want to kind of sum up his story before we turn our attention to Isaac and Jacob. And, and we're going to get a glimpse here of what Abraham's life was like after Sarah passes away. I don't know if you realize this, but the word records for us that Sarah lived to be 127, which would have meant that Abraham was 137 years old when she passed away. We find out in chapter 25 that, that he dies at 175, which means there's 38 years left in his life. 38 years. And, and, and so we're going to find out a little bit about what's going on with that. I'll give you a little clue. He fathers some more kids, okay? He, he fathers some more kids. But what we're going to find out is, is way back in chapter 17, God made a promise to Abraham. And in that, he said three things. He said three things. One, you're going to be exceedingly fruitful. And that seemed to be in doubt for a lot of Abraham's life, didn't it? You're going to be exceedingly fruitful. Number two, I'm going to make you into nations. Not a nation. I'm going to make you into nations. That comes true. And the third thing he says is, kings are going to come from you. Absolute kings are going to come from you. And we're going to see partly how that gets fulfilled this morning. So as I said, there's two genealogies here that are kind of sandwiched around the account of Abraham's death. So we're going to read this morning the first 18 verses, and I am going to butcher all these names, okay? So, so just follow along. You can find it up on the screen and, and see how bad I do with it, okay? Genesis chapter 25, verse 1, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. 
Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Latushim, and Lumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. Short little verse with a lot of importance. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. While he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lehi Roi. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth, Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Adbeel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tima, Shatur, Nefish, and Kadima. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. And so this morning, I want to organize our thoughts in three ways for you note takers who like to take notes along with me. Number one, I want us to see Abraham's great family. Secondly, I want us to contemplate his great God. And then thirdly, we're going to wrap up with Abraham's great legacy. Abraham's great legacy. But let's start about with Abraham's great family. When we think about God's promises to Abraham, we think of Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2. In fact, just flip back there with me. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2, it's been a while since we've been there, but he says in Genesis chapter 12, after he calls him out from his country in verse 1 and from his kindred and from his father's house to the land that I will show you, he says in verse 2, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. From the very first contact with Almighty God, Abraham has been told over and over, there is going to be a lot of people that are going to come from you. You are going to be prolific. You are going to be great, and you're going to have a great people. Chapter 13 and verse 16, God tells him later on, filling in some details, your offspring are going to be like the dust of the earth, like, like the sands out in the desert where you lived. Abraham, just look down. Look at all this sand. Your offspring are going to be like that. Secondly, he said in chapter 15 and verse 5, your offspring are going to be like the stars in the sky. There are going to be so many of them. And then in chapter 17 and verse 6, he doesn't just say nation this time to him, but he says, you're going to be the father of nations, plural. The father of nations, plural. And so, what we find out is, is that Abraham is going to be the father of many. 
and the father of many people and the father of many nations. He's going to have a huge family. He's going to not only think of Israel just correctly as the father of Israel, but he's going to be the father of many Arab nations as well. Most of the people in the Middle East, in fact, even Muslims today, they will go back and they will point to father who? Abraham. And so God keeps his word to Abraham. But not only will there be these geographic nations, these ethnic nations, but there is a huge family of faith that comes from Abraham as well. So Abraham is quite prolific. And what we find out in verse 1 is, is that he spends the last 38 years of his life fathering some more sons. He liked raising Isaac so much, apparently he raised six more kids. Now, the Bible tells us that Keturah, in verse 1, it says that she's a wife, but in verse 6, it calls her what she really is. She's a concubine. She really wasn't the wife like Sarah was the wife. She was just another, another woman that Abraham took to, to kind of be in relationship with. And Keturah gave him six sons. And what's interesting is, and I pointed out in verse 5 that, that God records for us that Abraham gives all of his possessions, but he saves a little bit in verse 6 as gifts, and he sends all those boys away. He sends all those boys away because Isaac, we know, is the rightful son. He's the rightful heir. He's the son of promise, and he's going to be without rival, and Abraham does this one last act before he's going to leave the earth, and the last act that he's going to do is now he's got Isaac a wife. He's going to make it easier for Isaac to lead the family by sending a lot of the family away. Think about it. Wouldn't it be easier if a lot of your family was gone in many ways? Especially when you have half-brothers, right? And they're, and they're wrestling for, for possession and, and who owns what and who gets what. Abraham takes care of it all. In a way, you might say that Abraham is an example of how we ought to do estate planning, right? He makes a plan. He makes a plan. He executes that plan. And, and so he clears the way for Isaac to step in without any rival so that Isaac can lead in the way that Abraham has trained him to lead. Now, if you go down to verse 12, you'll see that the family is even greater. And I want to point out something here because there is a clear answer to prophecy here. And I, and I want to point that out to us because when you read prophecy in the Bible, you should be able to trust it. Should you not, church? Should you not be able to see that it comes true? Yes, you should. And so in verses 12 through 18, we read through the 12 sons of Ishmael. Go back to chapter 17 with me. Go back to chapter 17. Because in chapter 17, we have, we have Isaac's birth promised. And remember, in this whole thing, Abraham, thinking that he was helping God out, kept offering up Ishmael to God, saying, hey, you don't need to give me another son. I've given you a son, God, to work with. I've given you Ishmael. Just work with Ishmael. And God said, no, he's not the one that I promised. He's not the one that I promised. But God has plans for Ishmael. Look at verse 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. In other words, I know you keep bringing Ishmael up to me, Abraham, and that Ishmael should, should have some part in this. I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful, and I will multiply him greatly. He shall father 
What are the next two words in your Bible? Twelve princes. Go forward to chapter 25. How many sons? How many sons did Ishmael have? Twelve. And according to verse 16, how are they referred to? And how are they viewed in the, in the world that they lived in? They're princes. They're princes. Now, this promise is just a matter of a few chapters in Scripture, but it's decades before it's fulfilled. It's decades. When God makes a promise, take it to the bank. You can count it. When you read prophecy in the Bible, take it to the bank. It's going to happen. Okay? And so now Abraham does have a large family tree. And it all came from the hand of God, didn't it? It all came from the hand of God, which leads us to our second point this morning. Abraham has a great God. Let's look at verses 7 through 11 here. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Imagine what you could do with 175 years. I don't even want to think about it. 175 years Abraham lives. He lives this long, full life, and I love how Moses describes his death. You see it there in verse 8? He's gathered to his people. He's gathered to his people. It's a euphemism for death. You're going to see it used about Ishmael later on in verse 17. But it expresses a truth that that is a solid truth that we all need to understand today. This life is not the end. There is something after this life. There is something after this life. And all of us will, will experience death. But after death, we all will exist somewhere else, will we not? We all will exist somewhere else. Abraham didn't just cease to exist. He was gathered to his people. In other words, there were people that went before him who had passed away, and now he joined them. Death is not the end. And in the end, just as it was in the, end, in the beginning, it all involves Almighty God, doesn't it? It all involves Almighty God. All that we have recorded about Abraham in the book of Genesis has this common thread of grace that just goes right through it. And that common thread of grace is what I would call the providence of God. We have a powerful God. We've got a loving God. We've got a patient God. We've got a God who's superintending all the events of his life. We have God at work. And the beauty of what we have just done in the last few months of going through Abraham's life is, whether or not you've realized it, we have painted a picture, we have dug out from Scripture the fact that God is sovereignly involved in every one of our lives, just like he was in Abraham's life. In chapter 12, It all begins with those verses that I just read earlier in verse 1, with God calling Abraham to leave Haran and to go to an unknown destination where God would lead him to. Basically, he said this, don't plug in your GPS, I'm going to be your GPS, right? Isn't that what he said? You're going to go and I'm going to tell you where you're going to go, I'm going to lead you. He makes those promises to him that that we talked about in chapter 12. And what we see through Abraham's life is, is that every step of Abraham's journey has not been a faithful step, has it? He has stumbled on many of his steps, has he not? How many of you have stumbled on your journey? 
point that out because I want you to see how God responded and be reminded about how God responded. God's faithful to Abraham in spite of Abraham's dishonesty to Pharaoh and then to Abimelech, isn't he? In spite of Abraham's sin, in spite of him doing it a second time and willfully misleading somebody, God's faithful to him. God blesses Abraham in spite of unfortunate life circumstances. And, and Abraham being gracious to somebody else. Have you ever been repaid with, with, with evil whenever you've been gracious to somebody? Abraham knew what that was like. Remember, remember with Lot? He says to Lot, you know what? The, you know, you and I are too big. We can't live in the same town together anymore. In fact, Lot, you choose which way you want to go. And remember what Lot does. He takes, he takes the valuable land, doesn't he? And what does God do in spite of that? He blesses Abraham. God gives Abraham victory over Lot's kidnappers. God makes a one-sided unilateral covenant with Abraham, even predicting his people's future that they're going to spend 400 plus years in the land of Egypt and sojourn down there. God gives Abraham a sign of the covenant and, and he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. God promises him a son and he delivers on it, the one who will be the inheritor instead of Ishmael. And then, towards the end of his life, he asked Abraham to sacrifice his son to him, and God does this really hard thing, and Abraham obeys, and he demonstrates that it's God's ability to provide, and that it's God's ability to, to commit himself and keep the covenant. It's not Abraham's job to do it. It's God who's doing it. And what we see in all of Abraham's life is every single step of the way, it's God who's being faithful. It's all God's doing. Now, whether you want to acknowledge it this morning or not, if you were to press rewind on your life, do it right now, press rewind. Some of your tape player is broken. It doesn't go back all the way. I know what that's like. Mine doesn't either. But if you were to press rewind on your life and just start with even who your parents are and go further back as to who your grandparents are or who your great-grandparents are, what you will find is, and as you play that tape forward, what you will find is, is that God has been faithful every step along the way, whether or not you were faithful to him. Is that not true? Church, is that not true? If you and I would take a look at our lives from a heavenly perspective, you and I would see this, that our lives are absolutely held together by Almighty God. What we would see is, is that not only are our lives held together by Almighty God, our steps are absolutely ordered by Him as well. We would find out that we're being watched over by Almighty God the same way that Abraham was being watched over by Almighty God. What we would find out is is that God is just as faithful to us as he has been to Abraham. And so when we turn the page next week and we move on to Isaac and, 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 his, and his scoundrel sons, Jacob and Esau, when we move on to that next week, what we're going to find out going forward is, is that the same thing that's been true in the past is going to be the same in the future as well. God was faithful to Abraham, and because he's faithful to his people, he's going to be faithful to Isaac, he's going to be faithful to Jacob, he's going to be faithful to Joseph, and he's going to keep on being faithful just like he is to you and I today. 
You say, if God's faithful, why am I experiencing so much hardship? Because he's faithful. Because he knows what's best, right? Because he knows what we need. Not what we want, but what we need. And what we're going to see here with Abraham is he's faithful from the very beginning. And when, when Abraham passes away, it's, he's faithful to him and that he takes him right to his presence, doesn't he? So Abraham has a great family. Abraham has a great God. But because of God's enabling, Abraham leaves a great legacy. He, lives a, he leaves a tremendous legacy. Have you ever considered what your legacy will be? Have you ever stopped to consider what your legacy will be? What is it that people will remember you for? What is it that you will be known for? What is it that people will say? You know, when I think about Dan Scarberry, I think about this. What I've come to realize is, is that legacies are built over a lifetime, are they not? Legacies are built over a lifetime. You can't just build one in your last years. Abraham's legacy is one that we can all aspire to, but I'm going to just say this to us right now. As is the case with Abraham's legacy, our legacies are the same thing. Our legacies, if they're just built by ourselves, are not worth anything. They're not worth anything. You think about some of the people in the world, in, in history, that built amazing legacies. The one thing that's true about every one of their legacies is this. Maybe it got commemorated in a plaque or something like that, but if their legacy was just things, guess what? It all broke, didn't it? Right? It all burned up. It all went away. If it was just things, then, then it wasn't, wasn't much of a legacy. And there's three things that I want you to see that make up. Abraham's legacy. And this is where I really want to spend the bulk of our time this morning. We only have about 20 minutes left. But I, but I want you to see this is Abraham's legacy, and his legacy absolutely matters for us. Because if you're the child of God today, you are the recipient of Abraham's legacy. Whether or not you realize it, you are. You're the recipient of Abraham's legacy. And it all begins back in chapter 15. Go with me back to chapter 15 where Moses records for us in verse 6, one of the greatest verses of all of Scripture. We spent a whole Sunday morning just pretty much talking about Genesis 15, 6. If you remember, if you remember, in fact, we're going to jump back into it just to remind you. So after chapter 14, which is where, where Abraham goes up and he rescues Lot, remember? And then at the end of chapter 14, he offers this offering to Melchizedek, and we talked about Melchizedek and his importance. 15.1 now. After these things, after all that happens, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. Okay? Abram, remember, in chapter 14 had turned down what rightfully could have been his whenever he went and rescued Lot. He could have taken it because he was the conqueror, right? But he gave it all. He gave it all back. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, my servant. In other words, what, what Abram's really concerned about is, has God, you have promised me already that I'm going to be a great nation. You promised me my name's going to be great. But there's one big problem. I don't have an heir. 
I have nobody to hand this off to. Verse 3, and Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And then verse 6, And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Folks, if this verse isn't in the scriptures, we're all in a world of hurt. We're all in a world of hurt. Because the first part of Abraham's legacy is faith, and specifically a specific kind of faith, justifying faith. How many of you had conversations with people out in the world, and they say that they believe in God? I believe in God. Or they say things like this, I have my faith. You ever heard that one? I got my faith. Or, you know, God and I have this kind of thing, and, and we have this arrangement kind of thing, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's weird. That's weird. You and God have an arrangement? Okay. Abraham had justifying faith. Abraham believed God, and he was justified by faith. They say, PD, you keep using that word justified. What does justified mean? It means to be, to be brought into agreement with God. It means to be, to, be, to be reconciled with God. Turn with me to Romans. Romans chapter 5. Because Paul is going to take this verse that Moses records for us in Genesis chapter 15, and he's going he's to build on it. But I want to show you first the results of justification. Go to chapter 5 and verse 1. Go to chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, he's referring back to chapter 4, and we're going to go back and look at a few verses in chapter 4, but I want, I, want to see, I want you to show you the beauty of being justified. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Is there anything better in this life than to have peace with God? If you're not justified, if you're here this morning and you're not justified and you think your life is peaceful, I've got a warning for you. you your life may be at peace right now. You may think you're at peace with God, but really you're at war with God if you're not justified because one day you will be held in account and God will pour out his wrath and judgment on you and you will have no peace. But according to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, if we're justified, we have peace with God through who? Through Christ, through the work of Christ. You say, how does that work? How does that work? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Go back to chapter 4. In chapter 4, Paul brings up Abraham. Paul's a good Jewish guy. He's a, he's a, he's a former Pharisee. He, he has studied Abraham, and he is going to use Abraham to build a case here. And in verses 1 through 3, he says this, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? In other words, I, I'm, in, I'm in Abraham's gene pool, right? Okay, verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? And then he quotes Genesis 15 and verse 6, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul's saying this, 
If it was up to Abraham to be right with God by the things he did in verse 2, then Abraham would brag about it. And what Paul is pointing out is something that is true of every person who has ever walked on the face of this earth except for Christ himself. And that is, there is a point in our lives, really from birth on until our lives are changed by the power of God, we are always trying to work to please God. We're always trying to do something to please God. Verse 2, if Abraham was justified, if he was brought into peace with God by his works, then he'd have something to brag about. But here's the reality. Mankind is trying to do, to work, to achieve. Are they not? Think about it. Think about it. Think about the people you work with. Think about the people that your kids go to school with. Think about the, the, you know, the people that you interact with in, in your hobbies and things. All of these people are trying to do something, they're trying to work towards something, or they're trying to achieve something. Are they not? That's what they're doing. And guess what? There's not one of us on this earth who can do enough, who can outwork what Christ did, or who can achieve more than what Christ did. There's not one of us who can do that. And if we think we can, we are believing a lie from the pit of hell. Because here's the thing, Jesus did do enough. You say, what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus came and lived a perfect life for 33 years, did he not? Are you awake this morning, church? Some of you have checked out and gone to sleep. I see you. This ought to excite you. I'm sorry. This ought to absolutely jazz you. You can't do enough, but Jesus did do enough. That ought to get you pumped. That really should. And here's the thing. Jesus did do enough. His work on the cross was sufficient. Your and I's work, the stuff that we do, it doesn't amount to anything. Jesus did everything. He achieved the ability for you and I to be at peace, to be reconciled with God. The way we receive this isn't by working for it, though. And there's this temptation to think that we can just work hard enough and God will love me. That he'll give me what Jesus did. He'll, he'll, he'll put it to my account if I just work hard enough. And here's the thing. You can't be good enough. You can't, you can't do enough good things. You can't help enough old ladies across the street. You can't give enough money to a church. You can't, you can't help the poor. There is nothing you can do to make God love you. Say, that's awful. Well, not really, because God doesn't want you to work for it. God wants you to receive a gift. God wants you to take a gift. And it says... In Ephesians chapter 2, it's by grace you're saved through what? What's the next word? Faith. Through faith. And you see, we have to believe something. And it's not enough to have some faith. I have faith that this stage is going to hold me up, okay? It's done it so far for, you know, I don't know, like at least 18, 19 years it's held me up. But, you know, one day I could come in here and one of you could have messed with this and I could go down, right? It's not that kind of faith. It's a faith in something far greater, not something that man's done. It's something that God has provided for us. 
And we can take God at his word. If we have learned anything in our study of Abraham, it's that we can take God at his word, can we not? That's what we've learned. And we have to believe that we can't achieve this salvation by ourselves, that we can't pay our sin debt, that we have to believe that Jesus did die and that he did pay my sin debt, and that not only did he die, that he rose again, that God brought him again from the dead, and that this confession acknowledges that Jesus Christ and he alone is Lord of lords, King of kings, there's no one greater than him. That's what that confession entails. And the sad reality is there are some of us who don't want to make that confession because we really believe that we are the masters of our own domain, that we are king of our own lives. No, there is only one king, and it's King Jesus. And let's understand something again this morning. The only way that you and I escape the penalty of of sin is the same way that Abraham did, believing God and having God take the righteousness of Jesus and put it to our account. The difference is our perspective. Abraham was looking forward to something that he didn't know was going to happen, but he knew God was going to do something. Just like he knew that that God was going to take care of Isaac, he knew in the future God was going to do something to take care of his sin problem. You and I have the benefit of looking back. Who had more faith, Abraham or us? You and I escaped the penalty of sin the same way Abraham did. It's not a belief in God. It's not, it's not a belief that there is a God. It's a belief about what God says about us. So first of all, his legacy is justifying faith. Is that your legacy this morning? Have you been justified? Have you been made right? The second legacy that he leaves for us is sanctifying faith. Sanctifying faith. Turn with me to the book of James because Paul isn't the only one who quotes Genesis 15, verse 6. James quotes it in James chapter 2. And in James chapter 2, James deals with this issue that many of you have wrestled with in your life. How many of you know people who have claimed to to be saved. They've walked an aisle, they prayed a prayer, but they have no fruit in their life. You know somebody like that? For many of us, it's too close to home. It's people in our own families, right? James deals with it here in James chapter 2 and verse 14 where he says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that are needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, it it does not have works, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you... Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is foolish? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You say, PD, that sounds wrong. You just said it's by faith and faith alone, right? That's being justified, right? 
That's being justified. We're justified by faith and faith alone. But here's what the Word of God is telling us. Look at, look at verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? We learn from Genesis 15, 6 that Abraham was justified when? When he believed God, right? And when he believed God in Genesis 15, 6, there are years, there is a huge span of time that goes from Genesis 15 to all the way up to, to Genesis later in, in chapter 18, or chapter 22, excuse me. There's over 25 years that takes place there. And what James is telling us is the reality for all of us. And the legacy that Abraham leads to us is, it's not just good enough to justify me. My faith is good enough to sanctify me. And what's he saying here? That a true, saving, justifying faith will lead, will produce an obedient, working faith. Let me say that again. Let me say that again. Those of you who are wrestling with these family members, and it is a wrestle, and it is a, it's a heartbreak, but let me say this to you. I want to be clear with you. A profession of faith is not enough. True, saving faith always, always, always yields obedient faith. I didn't say perfect faith. Did I say perfect faith? But if you are truly justified, you will be growing, you will be sanctified. And, and who in here would agree with me that sanctification is a painful process? Oh, it's highly painful, isn't it? Because we screw it up, right? But Abraham's belief about God in chapter 15 was followed with faithful obedience, not perfection, to the point that by the time we get to Genesis 22, and we saw this a few weeks ago, he is willing to obey God with the hardest thing that God has ever asked him to do. Take the son that I promised and go up and kill him. You tell me, is that a faith that changed Abraham's life, church? Is your supposed saving faith changing your life? It ought to be able to be observed. Could we not observe that in Abraham's life? You say, PD, you're, you're really hitting hard. Yeah, because I want you to know, not just because you made a profession of faith, I want you to know that you're in Christ because you're walking obediently. And that's the legacy. It's not just a justifying faith, it's a sanctifying faith. But there's a third part too. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. It's just a few pages back in your Bible if you're in James. That justifying faith, that's a sanctifying faith, is also a persevering faith. Anytime somebody starts talking about perseverance... I'm immediately thinking, oh, that's hard, right? Persevering means you got to gut it out. you got to go through the tough times. Go with me down to verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive. He went out. By faith, he went to live, verse 9, living in tents, 
Verse 10, he was looking forward to the city. Verse 11, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past age. Verse 12, therefore from one man Abraham and him as good as dead were born descendants and many as the stars of heaven and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith. And the thing that we see here in Hebrews chapter 11 that the writer of Hebrews encapsulates for us in a few short verses is this, is that Abraham's saving faith was his faith all the way to the very end. It was a persevering faith. We see in verse 8 that he's obeying. We see in verse 9 that he's, he's willing to sojourn. We see in verse 10 that he has hope. We see in verse 16 that he has a greater desire. What are, where are your desires today? Look at verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. A heavenly one. Are your desires heavenly? You see, justifying faith will lead to sanctifying faith, will lead to a persevering faith, and persevering faith always points itself to heaven. I pointed this out before, but one of the things I love about old hymns is, do you know what the fourth verse or the last verse of old hymns, do you know what the theme of all those are? It was always heaven. It was always heaven. Why? Because the hymn writers understood that's where the end goal is here. Now, they may not have always had the best theology in the hymn, but I love the fact that they always ended in heaven. To me, that's a good song. If it ends in heaven, I like that. Let's sing it. Because I need to be reminded that's where this is all going to, don't you? I don't know what your legacy is. But it has to begin with this. If it's going to be a lasting legacy, it has to begin with justifying faith. Are you justified this morning? Praise God that we saw a young lady who confessed to us in the waters of baptism today that her faith is a justifying faith. Now we pray for her that that faith is a sanctifying faith and that it's a persevering faith, right? Maybe you're here this morning and you've made a profession of faith, but there's really no fruit in your life. Would I say, would I, would I just beg with you and I would just plead with you, take stock now. Take stock now. Because true justifying faith always leads to a sanctifying faith. And that faith, that sanctifying faith, always yields a persevering faith if it's genuine faith. You see... You can start your legacy today by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and then walking obediently in Him. But it's a step-by-step -step thing, isn't it? Father, we thank You for the life of Abraham. What, what a legacy He leads to us. Lord, it's my prayer this morning that for those who are under the sound of, of my voice today, whether it be in person or online, maybe we're going to watch it or listen to it later on, that they would have a true justifying faith that is leading to a sanctifying faith. Oh Christ, continue that work in our hearts. Change us to be more and more like you, we pray daily. Give us, give us endurance to persevere, we pray.
Thank you that we can point ourselves to Abraham and others in the word of God who are examples to us for how to do this, God. We don't have to do this alone without some kind of manual to help us. We have your word. And even more than that, we have the spirit within us to guide us as we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the perfecter of it. And we long for the day when our faith will be perfected in your presence. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly, we pray in his name. Amen. Please stand and sing with us. He will hold me fast.
the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Galatians, reminded them uh, much of, about much of what P.D. reminded us um, about today from Genesis. And he says this in uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 23. He says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so I leave you with this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed. Mm -hmm.